Mindfulness Mode 294. My grandmother was always very much just in the moment, and she practiced that. She just, you know, it was just the way that she moved in the world. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host, Bruce Langford. So great to have you with us today. If you do enjoy the show, please hit subscribe. And if you leave a comment on our website, mindfulnessmode.com, I'll read it on the air. Today, I'm featuring someone that I think you'll truly enjoy. It's mindfulness and technology. We don't always hear talk about technology and mindfulness in one conversation. I think you're going to truly enjoy today's episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the wonderful Dr. Heidi. We are here, Mindful Tribe, with a special guest named Dr. Heidi. And her full name is Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Dr. Heidi, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm trying. (laughs) Okay. And we were just talking about how you're experiencing a little bit of jet lag. I'm excited to share with Mindful Tribe about you and what you've done. Here is what I've got written. Dr. Forbes Asta is a behavioral scientist and best-selling author. She teaches people how mindfulness and technology are connected. And she's devoted years to doing scholarly research in the human relationship with technology. She's a consultant in the field of social strategy. And in addition to all of this, she has a passion for well-being. She founded the Movement for Digital Self-Mastery to support the transition into the digital era without losing humanity humanity in the process. And of course, with digital, everything digital, sometimes it is difficult to keep that human element. So thank you for all you do. What does mindfulness mean to you? Let's start there. I think, you know, from the most base element, it's really just being more aware and in the moment. Um, And just being present of, of the, you know, of who we are and where we are, and being part of something much bigger than ourselves. So, Dr. Heidi, what made you decide to work specifically in this field of mindfulness and technology? Well, I, I think probably because working in the space of technology for years, I saw a depletion in, uh, in people's ability to be fully present in their work and in their relationships. And I wanted to look at both the aspect of using technology as an intervention to improve that and also understanding the ways that it may potentially be actually causing the disruption. So from both angles. Right. Did it cause a disruption for you in your own life? I think, you know, there's always times where we sort of move along the pendulum um, in terms of whether it's helpful or hurtful, but I think for the most part, it's actually enhanced my ability to be more present, but that's partially because I am so aware of my engagement with technology itself. Right. And so when did you decide you wanted to work in the sciences? Was it when you were a young girl, when you were a teenager? Uh, You know, I've always been curious about people. So in terms of understanding people and human interaction, I think that's something that has fascinated me from a young age. Um, really honing in, honing in on it and learning about specifically more 
around human relations rather than the international side, which is what I worked with more in the past. Uh, that really didn't come until I was in my 30s, I would say. I see. And I wanted to ask you about uh, meditation. Is that part of your life? Is that a part of mindfulness that you use? It depends on what you mean by meditation. Okay, well, let's I, talk about it. Yeah, so I don't have, you know, one of those practices where I, you know, chant and, and sit in silence, but I do uh, consider my hikes and my moments of just, um, you know, I do a lot of just breathing. Um, I do yoga. I, but for me, just being out in nature is my meditation. And do you get out, say, and if you're in a city, how do you find nature? Oh, there's nature everywhere. There's nature everywhere. And sometimes that's finding a park. And sometimes there's days where you don't have it and you have to find that nature within yourself. And that's where the breathing comes in. Um, and someone said to me, well, you can bring up a nature YouTube video and enjoy that. Would you recommend it? Do you find that that would give you the nature you, you want? You know, I've never tried that. I suppose that could work. And, you know, really everybody has to find the thing that works the best for them. Um, I've got a, a friend that has developed a, a mindfulness app. It's called Live a Moment. And within that, there are, you know, the, the images. You can pick the imagery. And so I think a lot of people do choose the nature-based imagery. So it's called Live a Moment? Live a moment, yeah. Right, right. Okay, that sounds really interesting. And uh, nobody has mentioned it on my show before, so I think they for... just recently launched. I was involved oh. with them in the very early stages, and um, they're doing some really wonderful stuff about just taking three, three minutes. If everyone just took three minutes to, you know, to focus on um, just breathing and being part of something bigger than themselves, uh, we might have better peace in the world. So you wrote the book called Digital Self-Mastery, but you also launched the movement. So what is the movement? Tell me how that works. How is that a movement? Um, the, the idea with the movement is building more awareness about how we engage with technology. What is our relationship and what is our role in that relationship? And that's, I guess, where the mindfulness piece comes in is it's just building being more present when we engage with technology and having more of a conscious relationship with it so that it's not running us, but we are coexisting and at a peace, in a peaceful way. And so can I change the neural pathways in my brain so that technology will seem easier to me? Absolutely. How do I do that? Um, I would say that the, you know, the first step is, um, acceptance and acknowledgement of your role in that uh, in that relationship and a lot of people look at it purely as a tactical you know just they're they're physically interacting with it but they don't realize that um, you know even just little things like notifications can trigger all kinds of neurotransmitters that you know for stress or for dopamine or uh, melatonin all of these different things that we don't really acknowledge are are, are occurring um, but that we also have an influence over and that, you know, we have a role in that engagement and we have a role in, um, in managing that relationship, whether we, it's a question of turning off things like notifications or, or recognizing that there's certain times that we're more susceptible to them. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, implications there. Um, so 
And some things are easier than others. Some are just uh, simply recognizing that, um, you know, that the relationship with technology, we have a role in whether it functions well for us or not. Um, and that in a way, in, in this context and speaking with you, I can go right into what other people, some people go, oh, that's way too woo woo. But really treating it more like a sentient being and recognizing that it needs as much respect as we provide to other people. And when you are kind to it and grateful for what it provides in your life and you, you know, treat it with patience and kindness, all of a sudden it seems to work much better for you. Um, and there's something about that interaction. And you know, you may look at it from a, you know, if you need to look at it in a more tactical, very real sense, you think about that, you know, you see wires sticking out of, of old cables. And then we, you know, we connect our phones to them and other devices to them. And then we, we don't understand why they're not charging properly or they're, they're not behaving properly. It's like, well, you know, if you're feeling broken, if you've got something wrong and someone's expecting 100% out of you, there's, you know, there's something that can be fixed with that engagement. There's something that can be taken care of. And, um, and, and it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it can have so much more benefits when we are just kind and gracious and, and appreciative of everything that it does in our lives. I'm so glad you said that. I used to have an employee that, you know, he was very good at the computer. He's very good at technology, but he would never eject flash drives. And he would, like, if something didn't respond, he would just click, 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 click. And he would hit enter over and over and over. And I would, I would say to him, look, think of it as a person. Think, you know, be kind. You know, if you just pull a flash drive out of this thing and it's asking you to eject it, you're mistreating it, you you're know. Mistreating it, and and that's going to have ripple effects with your relationship, both with the device it's being ejected from, and the storage piece. <laughs> There's so much that tied in there. Yeah, it really is. And I want to talk about operating systems because, to me, some operating systems are written in a way that they allow for my desire to be free. And some don't. And my son had me do a self-analysis test. I think it was last night. And I did this test. And he says, Dad, I think I'm figuring more out about you and why you're having trouble with certain technologies because you have this desire to be free all the time. You want to be free. And so when a technology doesn't allow you to be free and it forces you to do things a certain way, it bothers you. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear so, them. So one of the things that I work with with my clients is helping them find the right tech ecosystem for them. And a lot of that is personality based. And we don't take that into account a lot when we choose our devices and our systems. We often just go, oh, well, this is the functionality I need, or this is what everybody else is using. And it doesn't work that way. Just like when you're deciding who you're going to spend your time with or who's going to be sort of toxic in your life and you shouldn't spend time with, the same thing should rule the way that you choose what type of tech ecosystem you're going to set up for yourself. And that really, you know, as you're saying there, you need something that's going to give you that freedom. Somebody else just maybe like they just need to have everything set up in a very analytical format and they live for spreadsheets and they just need you know, everything's set in a certain way. 
their brain works differently. Their, you know, their whole personality is different. And so they're going to need a different kind of tech ecosystem. And like that, uh, like that decision for what you want in your ecosystem, everything in your ecosystem needs to be able to work together. So when we're choosing things based purely on functionality or purely on um, that everybody else is doing it, often we forget that some things don't play nicely with others and that causes even less freedom and, and even more opportunity for disruption in that communication and that relationship. So yes. I, you know, I absolutely agree with you. I think that there's, you know, the operating system is only one element of that entire chain, though. I suppose it is. Well, in your book, mm-hmm. Digital Self Mastery, I know you address a lot of different things. Was it difficult to accomplish that, to, to actually get that book written? I want to know the mindfulness behind that. Well, for me, it was actually pulling all of these different pieces together that I've worked on in in different parts of my life. So it was actually really, um, in a way, it was almost cathartic because it was like, oh, there's a reason why I did that then and then this then. And, you know, there in my 25 years as a consultant working in the social strategy space, it was like I was constantly trying to teach people about, you know, sort of what I refer to as social optimization and people, you know, they often would say, Oh, you mean social, you know, search engine optimization. No, 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 no. Social optimization. It's about mutually beneficial and effective and sustainable relationships. Like how do you do that using technology to enhance that? And so when I went to, went back to school to do my PhD, I actually started out working on a theoretical dissertation based on social optimization theory and really working through those pieces. And then when I, and what sort of drove me to that space was after having worked with people, particularly on the leadership side, of uh, um, what I found when you're sitting there trying to teach them technology, a lot of people have the very um, conflicting relationships with technology, I guess is the best way to describe it. And that's not necessarily that they're sort of one end of the spectrum or the other, can be anything from averse to technology all the way to addict. And so I really started to work through the spectrum of the digital self and how we interact with technology and you know what is our sort of persona when we do engage with technology. So my dissertation work ended up being a lot more around, uh, or the findings from it really were more around how we um, identify technology that is what's referred to social material, which is basically where we are fused, our relationship is fused between that material technical device and ourselves. And that's when you have this optimal flow relationship. So it was sort of pulling all of these different elements together with my passion for well-being and understanding how all of these different pieces actually impact how we move in the world and how how we feel and sort of, you know, not just from the brain science, but sort of, you know, how do you physically function? Is it affecting your sleep? Is it affecting your ability to thrive in any way? So writing the book was sort of pulling all those pieces together. And I'd already done a lot of writing in those different spaces. So it was just trying to find a way that I could weave a thread through them. 
Well, I applaud you for doing that because I'm sure it helps so many thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But speaking of movement, where are we going? Where do you see us moving in the field of technology in the next 10 years? Are we moving toward making it more human, more so that, you know, those of us with different mindsets can feel more comfortable in the field of technology? Uh, I would say yes, and uh, more complex, but the user interface, there's finally more of a focus on the interface and how that actually interacts with people. And I think that there's also a, um, a very big emphasis at this point and a lot of conversations talking about the ethics of development and the ethics of design. And, and yes, there are, you know, there, there's sort of this risk of these people that are designing in a bubble where they're designing for other designers and they don't get the impact on humanity or they, you know, they're, they're actually building to build habits or they're, they're looking at other things like that. But I think that the human element of design is ultimately everything that is being created is being created by humans, essentially for a function or an output that is designed for humans. But I think that we're trying to get to a place where that human, that humanity piece is better. But I think that there's still a lot of learning that needs to happen. And I think that the technology is still trying to catch up. Um, so I think we have a long way to go, but that's just where we're going. It's the future. And so if we, again, are patient and grateful for what it does provide already, I think that that process and the end result will be um, much better. Mm, that's good to know. I want to talk about social media for a minute because social media and technology are certainly completely dovetailed together. And yet with mindfulness, you know, I feel as a mindfulness guy, I don't want to stop a lot of times when I'm enjoying something, enjoying a sunset or enjoying time with my family. I don't want to stop to capture it and then post it because to me, that's the farthest thing from mindfulness. Mm -hmm. How can we get away from that and still embrace social media? I don't think it has to be an either or. I think that there are curators and there are consumers and there are there's moments where it's appropriate and moments where it's not. And I think that um, ultimately we need to just learn a better way for ourselves to recognize when those moments are appropriate and when it's gonna be right for us. So, you know, in your, your sunset analogy, um, certainly there's, there's moments where, you know, you're just, you just don't even wanna pick up the phone to, to share that sunset or to actually get it to capture right, because of course the colors never quite get it as amazing right. as it is. Um, but there's something also very beautiful about um, that moment that someone has just taken that, you know, said, oh, this is so amazing. I want to share it with everyone that I love and just, you know, putting it out there. So, you know, let those curators be curators and, you know, let the content creators be creators. And maybe there's that moment where you want to share it. And maybe there's that moment you want to just keep it for yourself and for that or, or those people that you're with right in that moment. Um, so I, I don't think it's an either or. 
Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I've, I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for some time, and I want to ask you a question about that. Sometimes I think we feel bullied by technology, but do you have a story that shares about bullying, but how mindfulness could have made a difference? Well, I can actually give you a very current story because I had a very interesting experience just last week while I was speaking at a conference in Warsaw. Um, it was a tech conference, and um, and I, uh, in my presentation was more. I was actually doing two different presentations, but my first presentation was more of a storytelling thing, and and I, you know, I was. It's not a typical tech conversation where you're telling people you need to be grateful and you know build in a, gra- a, a gratitude practice with your technology. Um, so it doesn't necessarily resonate for everyone. But um, and actually later in the day, I talked more about the you know the research science behind it and the mm-hmm. neurological implications. Da, 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 da. Right. Well, that was you know that was later. But so while I was speaking, somebody tweeted sort of just a nasty trolling comment. Um, that was like, that was the most boring, you know, most boring presentation. And what does that have to do with tech? Da, 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 da. It was like, you know, I was raised, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Me too. Okay? And um, anyway, it was sort of unnecessary. And I went back into the green room after my talk and I was looking at some of the comments and I saw that and I, my heart kind of sank. I yeah. thought, wow, that was just, it just wasn't a very nice thing to say. I mean, it's not like, there's going to be any real implications on my, you know, on my career from this person saying it. It was really, you know, it was just more like that wasn't very nice. But there was two or three people sitting around me when I read it, and they're what happened? And I, you know, read it aloud to them, and they're like, "Oh, that's awful!" And actually, the response was that every single one of them was like, "Wait, you know, show me where that comment is." And they all tweeted something that was a reply to it, saying, "You're so wrong. That was so amazing." And and it was just sort of this moment of. Uh, just a beautiful moment of support and and wonderfulness. But I, what I what I found from my own awareness of that response is instead of it sort of ruining my day and feeling like oh god this person's bullying me and you know what did I do wrong and my speech must have been awful. My response to it was well that's a shame and you know she must be having a bad day and I just took a moment to breathe and I just sort of went. That's really sad, but I felt sorry for her more than um, more than for me, and um, I was delighted with you know the people that rallied around me. But I think not having that not having that ability to separate from it and just be in the moment, um, it could have been a lot worse. Well, that's a powerful story, Dr. Heidi. I really appreciate that you've shared it. Because how we respond to things like that is everything about mindfulness, and it can make a big difference. I want to move forward by asking you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this. So just 30-second answers would be perfect. Who is one person that has helped you to be more mindful and influenced you that way? Oh, gosh. On the mindfulness, I was actually my grandmother. And it's not that she looked at it as mindfulness, or I would say, you know, really all of my ancestors. I'm a descendant of Emerson and, and our Emersonian thought and being sort of self-reliant and in nature really sort of forms who I am and how I think. But my grandmother was always very much 
just in the moment. And she practiced that. She just, you know, it was just the way that she moved in the world. And I admired that so much that I really aspired to be that way. Mm. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um, I think it enables me to be more stable. Um, and, um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, this is not a quick answer and I apologize because you probably That's okay. wanted that was a quick fire question, but, um, about five years ago, we were still living in Sweden. We now live in California. Um, long story short, I had seasonal affective disorder that got progressively worse every year. And for those who don't know about seasonal affective disorder, it can result in very deep depression. So it was sort of on the extreme. Um, but what happened was I came to California for some meetings and, you know, felt normal. Mm. I felt, I, I felt fine because it was sunny every day and I was outside yeah. and, and I was with friends who, you know, were doing yoga every day. And, and there was just much more of sort of, a you know, they had a mindfulness practice of their own in, in that way. And just being part of that all of a sudden, after being deep in a depression that had lasted several years, I was brought out enough to be able to get that perspective to look at what was going on and seeing that, that, that chemical response that was happening in my system and say, wow, I, I, something needs to change. And um, I think not being able to get that awareness and perspective um, is, is, you know, so where you get stuck without mindfulness, I guess. Yeah. Well, how has breathing affected your mindfulness practice? Do you have a certain way of breathing or a method? I think it's sort of yogic breathing, if anything, um, mm -hmm. because I, I used to teach yoga and I have sort of, you know, that's, that comes sort of most naturally to me because of that. Sure. Um, if you could, so, yeah. Yeah. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? You know, it's a tricky question because I don't, I don't necessarily think of reading a book around mindfulness. I know. Like, do you read a book yeah. to learn how to be mindful? Maybe you don't. And I know. If you don't, I mean, I read a lot of books about mindfulness when I was doing my dissertation, but, you know, little funny story, you know, of course, when you're doing research, academic research, I was listening to them on Audible at three times speed. So, you know, mm -hmm. Try, try learning about mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn at three times speed and audible. It's not really the best way to ingest no. about mindfulness. So I'm afraid I, I'm not the best person to recommend a book. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. What about any apps? Are there any apps that you would recommend or that, that well, of course, we talked about the one app earlier, but go ahead. Yeah, I would say, well, you know, live a moment, obviously. I love the Breathe app on the Apple Watch. Um, it's really been a gift to me because it, you know, sort of recognizes when my stress levels are high and it seems to just always go off at the right time for me. So is um, it only available on the watch or is it available on an iPhone? I don't I, th I think it's now available on other devices. I think okay. it just comes on the watch, but I think that it are, it, but because it's on the, on the watch, um, it actually is tracking your heart rate. So it can, it'll be triggered by that. Um, my kids use, I think it's Headspace. Okay, yes. I think that's the one that they use. A lot of people like that, yes. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's a very good one, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us about technology and the scientific side of it and understanding that there needs to be a human element to it. How can we learn more about what you do? And, and of course, we want to talk about getting your book and that kind of thing. Let's, let's get it out there. Sure. Well, uh, Digital Self Mastery is available on Amazon, so it's super easy to find. Um, the book is actually the beginning of the series. So the first one is for online entrepreneurs. I've got another version coming out soon that's for tech people working in the tech industry. And another one that's coming out in the spring that's uh, about multi-generational use of technology and the digital self. Um, so that's the family edition. Right. Uh, but my website is to balance you, the number two, balance and the letter u.com. And there you can find links to everything. Excellent. Two. Number two, balance, and then the letter U.com. So go there, learn more. This has been very informative, and I very much appreciate it. So thank you again for being on Mindfulness Mode, Dr. Heidi. My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you so much for the work that you do. You're welcome. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.